Charlie Theron's film career. One movie at a time. I'm Robin Hitchcock. I'm Bob Shields. I'm Regina Connolly. And this week we are talking about 2000's The Yards. All lowercase. Is it really? Yes, it was during the time when it was fashionable to do all of your credits in lowercase. Ah, thank you, E.E. Cummings. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do our one sound reviews. Wake up, question monster. Okay. This is quite possibly one of, if not the most boring movie I have ever seen. It is so boring. (laughs) It's so boring, so slow, so predictable, and so forgettable. Full disclosure here, guys. I watched two-thirds of this movie last night, went and did a show, went and had drinks after the show, (laughs) came home, and I was like, well, I gotta watch the last 25 minutes of The Yards. (laughs) And boy, was I not paying attention. And then something interesting happened. And I was like, oh, God, what is, what led up to this? Should I go back and find out? No, nope. no. Nope. Nope. So I'm a little muddy That's on the fine. last part of the movie. So also, it's, it's hard as hell to follow. Not because the plot is complicated, because it's actually incredibly simple. But it's it's so obvious to the point that when something you predicted happens, you're like, well, what did I miss? Because it can't be that obvious. <laughs> But it is. Also, I want to, for the record, uh, Romelaine Hitchcock watched the director's cut version. Yes. Bob Shields and I watched the theatrical release, and we'll get into that. So there are slight differences. You, dear listeners, please don't watch it. You don't watch either version. You have better things to do with your life. Uh, You absolutely do. I similarly had a busy day yesterday, and I was like, I'm going to watch this after work rather than split it into two. And Bob Shields texted me and was like, you're going to have trouble staying awake for this. And I thought he meant like it was going to be so scary that I was like going to have to stay awake because I was going to be so scared forever. That is not what he meant. He meant it was so boring and I was watching it at quite a late hour by myself. The only thing that got me through this movie, two things. One, Mavis, fourth chair, sat in my lap and was very adorable and that was a great distraction. And two, I used this as an opportunity to clear out old photos from my phone. So I was just constantly deleting bad pictures Mm. and vaguely looking up and watching the boring, boring movie. I painted my nails during the first part and was drunk during the second part. So let's just give a a brief outline of the story. It's a crime drama. It starts with Mark Wahlberg has been released from prison for stealing cars or something. It's sort of implied that he maybe took the fall for Joaquin Phoenix. It's not implied. Joaquin Phoenix says, like, thanks for taking the fall for me and the boys. We really appreciate what you did for us. There we go. Okay. Joaquin Phoenix is dating Charlize Theron, who is, her character's name is Erica, and she is so 90s pseudo-goth 
tragic. She <laughs> is acid burn from Hackers. Yes! <laughs> seven years later. Right. Yeah, but seven years later, and it just made me want so bad for there to be a movie with Angelina Jolie and Charlize Theron rocking that look once again. I would I would watch it. I mean, to be fair, I'd watch a movie with the two of them rocking any look they chose to grace us with. I agree. Really just the very dark eye makeup that is in, not blended at all, and the little... <laughs> Growing out pixie that's all flippy in the oh, back. and the PC bangs that are very Natalie and Brulia. Yeah. I will say now, because there's not a lot of highlights, my Charlie Zenith is her eye makeup throughout this movie. I hated her eye makeup throughout this movie. <laughs> I was like, blend that bitch. No, it reminded me so much of that era. It was very period appropriate, except for this was made at the time. So if you guys make a movie set in 1999, remember that people didn't blend their eye makeup, apparently. So... He comes back from prison. His mom, Ellen Burstyn. There's a lot of really good actors in this yeah, movie, it's a by the phenomenal way. cast. Yeah. It's a phenomenal waste of talent. Yeah. Yep. Ellen Burstyn, she's sick. She's not doing very well. And so he's like, I gotta get money. What? She's sick with having a bad son. <laughs> like, they're very not, they're like, her heart. Yeah. She's sad about her son. And I just thought that was stupid. Yeah. So <laughs> he's like, I gotta get some money. Charlie Theron's like, well, my new stepdad could maybe hire you. He hired... Willie. Whacking Phoenix. Right. So he, Mark Wahlberg goes to talk to her stepdad, James Kahn, like we said, really good cast. Yep. And he's like, buddy, go to a machinist school and I'll pay for you and I'll uh, support your mother while you're there. And he's like, I can't take your money. Mark Wahlberg's in a deep, severe depression throughout this film. Everyone is. Like, he's like, it has like such a flat affect. It's very upsetting. Yeah. And like, here's the thing. Mark Wahlberg as a human being is a bad person, Right. I actually like him as an actor. Right. And I know that that is a controversial opinion. I thought he should have won an Oscar for The Departed. He didn't act in this movie so much as sit there. He existed. Yeah, he was in front of the camera for a time. There was one, like, maybe half a second of a flash of acting uh, and character when someone said something to him and he goes, oh yeah, that's excellent, and does like a pretend jab at them. Ah, uh, yes! It happens, it's a momentary, and it's the only time when his character, like, has any peak in emotion at all. The rest I'm also now is- wondering if I said that I liked Mark Wahlberg in the Italian job. No. We um, all talked about him being boring in it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, although we talked more about... Ed, Ed Norton. Just being phoning it in. I don't like Ed Norton. That's <laughs> that's for I sure. <laughs> anyway. So, James Conn is like offered to pay for Ellen Burstyn while he, Mark Wahlberg, was in prison. And he's like, no. And she's like, no, no, no. Like, she's a single mom. She raised him and she won't take any money from her sister's husband. So, Mark Wahlberg has this like really skewed moral compass where he can't take support from a family member, but he's totally comfortable following- Being paid to do crime. Exactly. Right, because that is whacking Phoenix his job for James Cat. He Who is runs like a train yard. A train a repair yard. A repair yard for trains and he right. like supplies parts. Yes. Apparently this movie sets up the system that it's like a super corrupt business. They're in New York and yes. it's very like mob shit, bribes and intimidation and sabotage. Whacking Phoenix is the corruption lubrication specialist. Like, he greases everyone. Right. But, like, all those things sound like it would make a really interesting movie because, like, how often have you thought about the city contracts that go to train repairs and what kind of money could be made on that? Probably never. What an interesting story to tell. But this is the most boring way to do it and their way of being like, ooh, corruption and scandals. Like, oh, there's an envelope full of cash. Let's not delve into that at all moving forward. It's just there are no characters. Everyone is very somber and uninteresting. There are no moments of tension where you're like, oh my god, what might possibly happen in this scene? Right. Right. 
So Regina mentioned that apparently this was based on the writer's actual family. And so I think that maybe that's part of the problem here is that it's maybe a little too true to life. Maybe, but it was something about, like, the family had never spoken about it, and the director's father was, like, very hesitant about, like, going to see it or whatever. I don't know. I did not pay the subscription fee to read behind the firewall. They they mentioned it in the Ebert review also, okay. and I very much was like, well, so was he just like, here's how it happened, and I'm like, no, you have to tell a story. You if, right. if how it happened isn't an interesting story, then don't tell it like it's a story. Right. This feels like... When somebody tells you a work story mm-hmm. and you're really bored by it. Yep. It feels even worse than that. It feels like when someone starts the sentence that I never want to hear. I had a dream last night <laughs> and I immediately do not care I any of the things that come rather that. listen to anyone's dream. <laughs> I would rather, if somebody was like, I had a dream last night where... Mark Wahlberg, Joaquin Phoenix, Charlize Theron, James Caan, Ellen Burstyn, Faye Dunaway were all in a really shitty movie. I would let them describe every single scene of that movie, and I bet it would be better than The Yards. Yes. In fact, we are currently trying to make this more entertaining by describing it. Yes! (laughs) Yeah. Guys, it's... uh... Okay, so let's just talk a little bit more about things that happen, though. Okay. Joaquin Phoenix and Mark Wahlberg are doing crime for the family. Yeah, like, Joaquin Phoenix is, like, inching him into what his job is. And Mark Wahlberg, who very much doesn't want to go back to prison or break his mother's literal heart, uh, (laughs) is, like, completely, like, has no qualms about being like, well, I guess I'll just do this crime stuff instead of getting a degree. Right. So, for um, no discernible or vocalized reason. I'm yeah. sorry, that I'll makes go, me so I'll angry. go and sabotage the competition's trains. Right. Clearly, I'm cool with potentially murdering scores of people. Like, that was the thing that really bothered me about the train sabotage. Trains can kill a lot of people. Yes. Right. Also, he does club a police officer into a coma. Yeah, so they are sabotaging trains, because that's a thing they do. Because they Walking want to prove Phoenix, that their competitors' products are faulty. Right. Joaquin Phoenix goes in to bribe the guy who, like, is, like, the night watch at the yard. The yard With Nick's tickets. And he's like, oh, your rivals gave me two grand. And he's like, well, we'll match it. And he's like, no, they win now. They said, yeah, they would match it. So, like, goodbye. And then Joaquin Phoenix kills him. The, The guy he murders sets off an alarm. A cop shows up. Mark Wahlberg runs away. The cop starts hitting him with his nightstick. Mark Wahlberg wins the fight and beats the cop into a coma. With, like, one hit? Yeah, I mean, it's really not that hard to put someone into a coma, right? I don't know. I, f- I feel like it's more difficult than they made it look. I hit a nightstick! <laughs> yeah, but Mark Wahlberg got hit with the nightstick multiple times and was still powerful enough to comatize his opponent. I think that the cop was probably not trying to beat Mark Wahlberg into a coma. True. All right. So I think he was trying to subdue him. Anyway, so then the the family is basically like, well, Mark Wahlberg, you gotta kill the cop or we're gonna kill you. It was the other criminals were like, yeah. were like, hey, we don't trust you, and you're the only one he saw, so if you don't kill the cop in the coma, then we're going to come for you, and that ties up the loose end. So you're either in or you're out. And Mark Wahlberg fails to kill the cop. The movie is all about also, people failing to kill people. Which also doesn't make any sense, because it's not like if the cop like identified him, and then they found Mark Wahlberg's dead body, they'd be like, all right, never mind then. We'll just wrap up this investigation. I feel like... They could have gotten away with, like, making him disappear. And he had no actual ties to them other than 
verbal contracts, I think. But he, well, the, the big problem towards the end is that he is James Caan's nephew, and that's what ties him right, true. to the thing. So, dead or alive, it didn't make any difference. Right. The cop was going to finger him. And then it's kind of like, well, is Joaquin Phoenix going to kill him? Is James Caan going to kill him? There's a whole series of scenes. Basically, everyone decides they have to kill him. Yes. There's a whole series of scenes where it's like, you gotta help me. Oh no, you're going to kill me. I'm going to leave again. Mark Wahlberg is also a horrible fugitive. He goes to his <laughs> house. Oh, I have a note about that. He runs away for five minutes and then comes back to his mother's apartment. Yeah. yeah. I have a note where I was like... How terrible are the police officers that Mark Wahlberg, fugitive from justice for beating a cop, is in the only place they could think to possibly find him? And they're like, we checked the mom's house once, that's enough. And yeah. he basically stays at his mom's house for the rest of the film. He, in a very obvious location. Like, like he, he lives half a in, floor up. Yeah, he, it's ridiculous. <laughs> in a stairwell. He yeah. lives in a stairwell and he keeps literally hiding in shadows. Oh, God. Okay, so let's talk about Charlize. She is... Mark Wahlberg's cousin, but they used to do it. Yep, and he still wants to. It's gross. You can tell. Also, the way that you can tell is because this film has decided to take the show don't tell in the very wrong direction of being like, not only show, but show very heavy-handedly, repeatedly, because in the one scene in the movie that had a shred of joy in it, which is when the song Samba de Janeiro was playing in the background. That was actually really fun. not look anywhere except for a Charlie's. Yeah. And it's kind of like, oh, I get it. He's in love with her. And earlier he's like, did you get my letters from prison? The letters I wrote you because I'm in love with you, even though you're my cousin. And I kept waiting for it to to be explained that they're not really cousins. No, nope, right? they are. Right. But they're really cousins. And look, okay, here's the thing. I understand different people have different cultures and whatever. And plenty of cultures, it's totally fine to marry your cousin. So I don't want to be super, super judgmental about it. But... It's gross. <laughs> so I definitely was like, why are we just supposed to be going along with this? Like, why is no one, like, upset by right. it? Yeah. Uh, guys, I'm At sorry. one point, Wacking Phoenix does say to Charlize, the thing between you two is sick or something. Yeah. Okay. And uh, that's why the mom is kind of like, hey, don't be in the hallway together. We all know this is nasty. Okay. So I think the movie, I think that was the only surprise in the movie, is that they didn't at some point be like, they're cousins through marriage. Yeah. That's not saying much for a film. No. no. You surprise me with so, vague incest. Okay, so uh, this is, by the way, where I came back and watched the end drunk. So Robin's recollection of the, of the <laughs> subsequent scenes is... More of that. People realizing that Mark Wahlberg being alive is their problem, attempting to kill him and for some reason failing at it. Vague family dynamics pinging off of Mark Wahlberg. And to then die. Charlize falls off a balcony. <laughs> she <laughs> gets thrown off a balcony. By Joaquin Phoenix. So. Because they were engaged, and then shortly after they're engaged, Charlize learns that he's a murderer. That's my Charlize sentence, by the way, is the scene where she asks. Mark Wahlberg was Willie there. Right. And Mark Wahlberg doesn't answer, and she just covers her mouth and yes. does her tear eyes. But she... you can't see because we're covered in black yes, eyeshadow. But that's my Charlie Zenith. So, do you have a Zenith? Uh, I do. My Zenith is in the club. Uh, 
better when the one fun scene the one fun scene where she is dancing but they subvert the funness by sliding into a fucking obvious stereotype was like the oh, fight yeah it's like oh the beautiful woman instigates accidentally instigates a fight between two jealous dudes yeah um, but Charlize is smiling at least in that scene and dancing <laughs> Uh, and out of all of the misery in this movie, that's the only thing that was even remotely joyful. But yeah, so then after everyone has uh, failed to kill Mark Wahlberg, Joaquin Phoenix goes to drop off his keys to his James Caan's house. Because he's getting pushed out because he's failed to handle the situation. Yes. Uh, Charlize shows up. They get into an altercation where he tries to rape her on the stairs, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... She uh, runs away, and in the struggle, he accidentally shoves her over the banister, uh, and she falls to her death. Which I don't think... It wasn't that high up. Like, she's frail if she died from that fall. Like I think if she hit her head the right way, it doesn't really matter how high be. it is. Much like you can also beat someone into a coma with a nightstick with one good hit. <laughs> I will say, like, so the thing about that scene that made me insane was, so you see Mark Wahlberg coming in, and he lays the keys on the table, and it's an overhead shot, and it's sort of like, look, he's leaving the keys to the kingdom of all the money he could have had if he continued down this path. And it was such a, like, just pretentious, like, drawn-out shot. I was like, I get it. And then the moment that Charlize walks in the door, you're like, she's gonna die. He is gonna kill her in some, like, you know... Some contrived way. Yeah, and then as soon as she went for the stairs, I was like, you you have seen Gone with the Wind, right? Like, this is not gonna end well for you. Um, if she gonna... probably has not. Stairs, only for rape. Um, only for rape and fallen. And then, so after she falls to her death, we see her body for, like, one second, and we see her body from his perspective, because the movie at no point ever pretends that the movie isn't all about the dudes in the movie. Oh, yeah. And then it cuts to him in the car and there's more camera work on a glowing single tear track than she got like credit in the entire movie in my opinion. So I want to mention that glowing super high contrast melodramatic tear is one of the things on the list of things that I laughed out loud at in this movie. <laughs> Can we hear some others? So the, uh, the, the list is not very long but it is uh, it starts with like just abrupt framing like Mark Wahlberg just randomly enters into a frame at full speed and stops which made me laugh out loud like in his mother's kitchen Charlize's awkward head on shoulder of James Caan uh, when she's oh, begging yes. him for uh, for help like you need to help Mark Wahlberg he's whatever family etc and then she just kind of bends at the hip and puts her head <laughs> on his shoulder and she's it looks like one of those drinking birds <laughs> yeah, it looks really weird and awkward uh, there's the high contrast here which I sh- I assure you took hours of filming and lighting <laughs> to get exactly right and he had to perform and make the tear come out of his eye the like, note I wrote right at that moment was boo fucking who <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sad you just killed your girlfriend and then the last thing on my list of things I laughed out loud at was uh, courageousness question mark because at one point uh, when yeah. uh, Mark Wahlberg is testifying against everyone and breaking his code of silence they're like, oh, we would like to thank you for your courageousness in coming forward here today. And I'm like, do you mean courage? <laughs> <laughs> also, that scene is not in the director's cut. Yes, that scene did not happen in my movie. But it happens in our movie. And I would just like to know that, like, it's implied that Mark Wahlberg hung out with Willie Gutierrez doing some corruption for, like, 
two weeks. He has no receipts for any of this, no evidence, but he's like, uh, I'm a ex-con who was accused of beating a cop, but they let that slide, but I'm here to name everyone, including city council members, at some weird press conference interrogation courtroom. And I'm like, he's got no evidence. He was there for such a short time. Why would anyone listen to him? And earlier in the movie, there's implied through like a news clip that because of a potential like MTA scandal that people were taking to the New York streets in protest, <laughs> yeah. like tearing the city apart because of maybe there was some corruption going on with the trains. And I was kind of like, guys, it took Trump for like the women's march to happen. Like people were not like, oh my God, government contracts. Let's get our signs also, out. It was it's New York. <laughs> <laughs> like people, I think it's set in the 80s. I'm like, I think people were very aware. It's set in the 80s? It's set in the 80s? That's when it happened. It's set in like it, the movie seems to be set in some kind of nebulous all time could be that could be present. Charlie's look is straight out of 1996. Okay, maybe it is that, but it is at least I think like what I was reading about they the did family some thing. Very very bad period work if it's meant to be set in the 80s. Unless it's really bothering. I think it may just be that I'm remembering that the family story that this is based okay. on is an 80s scandal. I mean also like there are no cell phones at any point. Everyone has like cordless phones. So I feel like if it is 90s it's early 90s. People didn't really use cell phones regularly in the late 90s. They had Nokia, especially if they were doing some illegal crime shit, they were okay. have a cell phone. That's true. And also because like it's implied that Frank is incredibly wealthy. Okay. Anyway, I just, like, some of the things that I were just like, this is straining credibility, is that all of New York would come out to protest this. I do not think that would happen. So, another thing I want to talk about is that Joaquin's character is Willie Gutierrez, and I assume he's meant to be Latino. At some point, the rival train gang... Um, oh, yeah, the who, minority company. ...who are yeah. Latino... They come up to him and say, like, you'll never be as white as them. Well, also, I felt like the movie had a weird relationship to the idea of people getting contracts because they were a minority company. Because it felt like the movie's like, well, if they'd never tried to do that, then Frank would never have been driven to destroy Oh, them. God. That's, like, <laughs> oh, my God. Right? Well, like, they just don't get what they're supposed to get. Or they're guaranteed 10% because they're a minority company. And then it's like, we give 100% of the contract to James Caan because... <laughs> yeah. That's it. Yeah. Uh, but I guess what I'm saying oh, is, sorry. why did they not hire a Latino actor? Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, come on. If you're going to make that part of your plot, make it part of your plot. Yeah, it's weird. Right? Like, why? I don't know. Are we supposed to think that Joaquin Phoenix is Latino because he's I slightly olive skinned? I, I thought he was don't... supposed to be Italian. I don't know anything about it. His him. last name's Gutierrez, though. Yeah. Hey, wait. Uh, I thought Joaquin Phoenix. He says he's born in Puerto Rico. Oh, I, I don't know. I mean, Joaquin is a Spanish name. Yeah, but his real name's Leaf. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And um, his real last name is Bottom. Is it really? Yes. Leaf Bottom? Yep. River Bottom with his brother. And Summer. I honestly, I just assumed because his name was Joaquin that he was. Well, maybe he took a family name. So maybe he is Latino. Uh, how do you Google that? Is Joaquin Phoenix Latino? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Siri. <laughs> Okay, Google. It doesn't matter. Anyway, readers. I just want to know. <laughs> or readers, listeners, if you readers. have it. <laughs> I just assumed we were cutting all of this out. I want to keep it that we talked about the, why didn't they cast a Latino actor. So let's just say, briefly summarize the journey that we just went on. <laughs> we don't know if Joaquin Phoenix is Latino. <laughs> Good summary. <laughs> Hi friends, it's Robin with a factual addendum. So Joaquin Phoenix was born Joaquin Rafael Bottom in San Juan, Puerto Rico. 
but he is the child of missionaries. He is not Latino. Leaf was his self-given name because he wanted to be more like his siblings, and he reverted to using Joaquin as a teenager. These have been additional facts on a shitty microphone with Robin. Back to the episode. Here's her, her playing the stereotype of the guy who, at the party who is dressed better than everyone else mm-hmm. and more confident than everyone else because he's obviously a criminal, mm-hmm. which is usually a stereotype for Italian gangsters. Yes, he, and he has, like, greased hair, even. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sort of going back to this weird timelessness of this movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. So, now we kind of have the plot out of the way. Can we talk about the tone of this movie? You mean the Wah. boringness? <laughs> so, the tone of this movie is that... Every character wants to talk like this, and what? Well, yeah, thank you for uh, this is the uh, you know the movie. And that, <laughs> and that's that's how American accent waffles. That's how that's the whole movie. Every single character talks like that. It's, no one ever talks above a mumble. Oh, Joaquin Phoenix does when he's like, "I love you," but everyone else is like, "Murmur, murmur, murmur." Yeah, there's occasional yell, but other than that, that like it's ninety eight percent mumble. Even Faye Dunaway, who is like you know known for big acting, <laughs> yeah. is mumbly. Oh, yeah, what a waste. So it, it's like there there are scenes in like The Godfather Part Three or like Eight Mile or stuff like that where everyone's at their lowest point and everyone's miserable and like it's the the pit of the emotional arc uh, but that scene usually lasts for 10 to 15 minutes this Not is sustained two over two hours of just relentless misery and boredom but the movie opens with his coming home party and it was the most miserable coming home party ever and I was like if this is how excited people are getting for him getting out of prison this movie's gonna suck So, or how excited he is about getting out of prison right but here's the thing I think they thought they were making The Godfather. I think they thought so, too. The I, composer certainly did. Because, <laughs> <laughs> man, those strings are like, this is going to be a memorable tune. This is how the music in the yards goes. <laughs> it's like they had to, like, bend the pitch <laughs> so they wouldn't get sued. This is, this is Vanilla Ice to Under Pressure. <laughs> no offense, because Vanilla Ice is what a great song, but you're no under pressure. Yeah, so oh, this man. movie it's really boring. Oh, I was going to say, would a prison riot liven it up? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm so mad there wasn't a prison right. riot in this. <laughs> also, when I read the title, I thought this was about prison yards. I thought this was going to be a movie about prison. It is not. It's, it's about, about train, train yards. yards. But um, there is prison involved, so it would work like, great. Could have easily had a prison Just riot. start the movie two days earlier. Oh my right. God. Like they did in Reindeer Games. Right. Can I talk about, before we do Ebert or Mebert, there was one moment in this movie that if I had been keeping note of things that made me laugh out loud, and if I were watching more studiously, maybe I would have cracked up. There's one brief moment where Mark Wahlberg is Batman. So he's like in an abandoned building in the streets of New York City. And he has James Caan comes to talk to him. And then he looks in his, uh, he sees like a gun, like under his jacket. And then like a shadow falls for no reason. And he's gone into the night. (laughs) But then then they undercut it by seeing from Charlize's perspective in the car. You just see him like run full pelt across the front of it. (laughs) And then she does that bird thing again. She's just like, I'm just going to put my head on the dashboard. (laughs) It's like she just is too depressed to have a spine. Okay. Ebert or Mebert. It would be more engaging to watch an actual train yard for two hours, even an empty <laughs> one. Nice. Uh, Mebert. 
Mebert. That is a Mebert. Roger Ebert gave it three stars. I Holy saw that by shit. mistake. Um, yeah. Roger Ebert. It was really well received. Gave when it, it came three out. stars and compared it to The Godfather and Mean Streets. So here's the thing you, it was critically well received because, like, on Rotten Tomatoes, it has uh, pretty glowing reviews mostly, but it also cost something like $18 million to make. And made about eight hundred thousand dollars <gasps> in total. <laughs> oh so man! So I don't know how well received it really was. Mm. Wow. Okay. It's, it certainly was talked about, like at least on my you know initial googlings, as like powerhouse performances, right? About a serious topic that we really need to delve in. What a thriller! And I was like, Have you ever been thrilled by anything? <laughs> because that. Sir or Ma'am is not thrilling. Yes. Like, I honestly... This is not my least favorite of the movies that we've watched. No. But it is, I'm pretty sure, the most boring. Oh, definitively. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. Definitively the most boring. Like, it was <laughs> a slog to get through. Yep. Like, I'm trying to think of what would even compare. Like, I thought that the war movie that you love that I didn't... Penelope Cruz is in... Oh! Oh, Head in the Clouds. Head in the Clouds. Head in the Clouds. Like, I thought that was a pretty boring movie, but it had the epic scope of World War II and resistance and a lot going on. So, like, that... Not boring. But this was just, like, you knew exactly what was going to happen from the very beginning. Yeah. Every yeah. moment. And I didn't care to watch it. Yeah, no. Like, I've seen movies where I know what's going to happen, but I'm like, I'm on this ride. Let's do it, right? Right. But here, no. My no. One of my other notes, and I don't know what it's tied to, because sometimes my note taking is not very effective, but I just wrote with periods between each word, fuck right off. <laughs> 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 so, who can say? Yeah, and like, everybody involved is good and should be able to make a, a decent movie. I don't know James Gray very well. Um, he he only makes movies with Joaquin Phoenix, apparently. Yeah, uh, yeah, he recently directed Lost City of Z, which I was like, or it's Lost City of Z, sorry, I should say, which I thought previously looked interesting, but now I have my doubts. <laughs> uh, but the other co-writer on this was Matt Reeves of Everything of the Planet of the Apes fame. I was wondering why I recognized that name. Which I'm like, if you can make a good movie out of that backstory, like, that's... He that's makes... that's all Andy Serkis, though. That's true, yeah. <laughs> uh, that whole franchise rests on him being able to make very precise facial movements. <laughs> I was going to say, Andy Serkis did a great job as the train that Mark Wahlberg was riding in. Like, I mean, we have not seen such good work from him since Devil's Advocate, I would say. Andy Serkis plays the shadow that Mark Wahlberg hides and escapes in. <laughs> oh, beautiful. <laughs> Speaking of shadows, I'm going to say an unpopular opinion. Because at least what I read, everyone was like, oh, Joaquin Phoenix, like, great performance in this. And I was like, he didn't have a performance so much as when he sits at a certain angle and the lighting designer does a certain thing, he has perfect triangle shadows over his eyeballs. <laughs> and I felt like the fact that he could have shadow eyeglasses was like the majority of the appeal of him in this movie. <laughs> I do think Joaquin Phoenix is great. Uh, so this is 2000. Joaquin Phoenix was nominated for Best Supporting Actor in Gladiator that year. Ellen Burstyn was nominated for Requiem for a Dream for Best Actress that year. Yep. It was like an amazing cast. Some of them at their prime. Yep. Did you guys notice that the guy from The Wire was in this? Yes, Herc. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. look, typecast. I wonder why I recognized him. Okay, who would Keanu play? It's really hard to... He would play... <laughs> he would play the police officer who informs them that their daughter is dead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go with one of my trademark weird answers, which is... He would be... I want him to be a novelty key ring on the keys getting laid on the table. Like, just a little cartoon figurine of Keanu. Just hanging out there. That sounds like it's going to be fun to Photoshop. I do not want him in this film. <laughs> um, I think that I would 
probably make him on the minority company. Yes. That's what I would do with him. Yeah. That would be but good. not a Hispanic minority. Sure, sure their, their minority is I, uh, half, half Chinese, Chinese and half Native Hawaiian. So. I, I, would, I would enjoy watching him kiss his middle finger at Wacky Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway. Oh, uh, this movie. This, oh, oh, and so on top of the crap show that was this movie, I, it's, it's a strange feeling to see producer names come up and just be like... <gasps> Ah, Harvey Weinstein. Yep. Yep. Gonna see his name a lot in a way that, like, I knew who he was before the scandal. Scandal feels like such a polite term for the horror of it all. Yeah. But just, like, I would never have even noticed his name being attached to any movie. And now it's like, I can't not see it all the time. When I was looking at the cast, I was like, how the fuck did they get these people? And then it was like, Miramax. And I was like, oh, that's how they got those people. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Oh, another thing that I did like, I'm sorry, I'm finding random little threads that I enjoyed. Faye Dunaway's glasses. Agreed. Great glasses. Great glasses. Great Batman moment. Great revisit of Samba de Janeiro. And other than that, never watch this movie. Yeah, don't watch this. <laughs> I, I, like, even the movies that I hated, I'm like, there are someone out there who might enjoy this. Not 15 mm. minutes. No, there are people who they would were, enjoy yeah, 15 I minutes. I can see people would enjoy that. Yeah, yeah. So don't watch this. Let's rank it. All right. I am putting this very low. It is one above A Million Ways to Die in the West and one below Trial and Error making it my third from the bottom. And I think the reason I'm doing that is I think I hate it in the same way that you, Robin, hate The Last Face. Yes. In that it is boring and pretentious and poorly conceived. I am going to put mine below Head in the Clouds and above The Life and Death of Peter Sellers. And this is now my threshold for every movie below this, I actively hate because there's something wrong with it. Except with the, with the exclusion of Children of the Corn 3, Urban Harvest, I don't hate it. It's just... I mean, listen to that name. It's not going to be very high on my list. Right. Every other movie for me, like Life and Death of Peter Sellers, I find objectionable. And same with The Last Face on a much greater level. Same with Cider House Rules and 15 Minutes and a Million Ways Die in the West. Yeah. So that's my new, like, ugh. So I am going to actually put this between 15 Minutes and A Million Ways to Die in the West. I thought about putting this below A Million Ways to Die in the West because that movie at least gave me things to react to. Yes. But I also hated those reactions right so this this incredible void of a movie is somehow going to make it beyond the one that i yeah right. i sort of enjoyed hating yes yeah yeah, yeah. that yeah. makes sense this this movie makes the burning plane fascinating yes <laughs> i liked that movie more than you guys so <laughs> it's surprisingly high on my list actually same but uh no this is the third from the bottom two below children of the corn three this is our this is our biggest pivot uh between episodes oh my gosh oh yeah because <laughs> like honestly i saw the rotten tomatoes rating and i was like oh, i bet it's kind of dumb i but... thought i might like it because it, i was like cool like family drama corruption great and like five minutes in i was like oh this is this I, is a slog. So yeah. <laughs> I, I had often have the, the thing where I watch a movie and I'm like, I don't really know how I feel about that. I didn't think I enjoyed it that much or I liked it. Um, and then I'll read a review that is the opposite. And I was like, oh, this is great or this is bad in opposition mm-hmm. to what I thought. And then I'll start second guessing myself. This I had the opposite thing where I I watched it, hated it, saw glowing reviews and was like, nah, they're all wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I'm rock solid in my hatred of this movie. Same. I I don't understand why anyone would like this movie. I mean, right. not to sound like my mom, but I'm like, hate is a strong word for how I feel about this movie. <laughs> right. I, I'm just I like, feel completely indifferent to its total boringness. It's just, yeah, like, I, I, I'm yeah. not angry. I'm so bored. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm more resent it than hate it. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. 
And, like, Charlize is not in it very much. Uh, so that also, like, sort of makes me be like... And, like, all of the women in this movie has, like, nothing to do other than... React to the men. Correct. She's be like, sad about what the men are doing. Correct. Like, her mom at some point is like, could we have a conversation? And I was like, yeah, please, could you? And wouldn't it be an interesting <laughs> movie if it was about Faye Dunaway and Ellen Burstyn and Charlize Theron yep. as, like, the women... The, they're, like, all of them with various uh, ways of dealing with their loved ones being criminals. Yeah, I, right. I think that could have been really interesting. Yeah. And, like, especially, like, in a sort of Chekhovian way where you, like, don't see what the husbands are doing. Yes. What you see... Like, they could sort of... In a similar way to, like, Selby, where it would be like, what? Where do the cars come from? <laughs> yeah. Where's this house come from? Right. This movie really wanted to be The Sopranos. Yeah. Uh, which I think does that kind of well. It shows both sides, but it also shows the effect on the family. Carmela's the best character on The Sopranos, and I'll fight anyone who disagrees with me. <laughs> All right. So thanks for listening, guys. I hope that you enjoyed us being bored. I hope that we weren't as boring. <laughs> yeah. Next week, we are going to watch, I believe... Astro Boy? I think that this is going to be Charlize's smallest speaking role. Yes. I don't know about, maybe The Road. I'm not sure. Uh, no, she's, she's in The Road for at least 60 seconds. Okay, cool. <laughs> so uh, we are going to review an entire movie that Charlize Theron has a 25-second interaction with because that's how we roll. We're committed. And look, Keanu Review, we are going to do Keanu. That's right. That's right. Um, okay, so thanks for listening. And thanks to Alex Reed for our theme song. And most of all... Thank, Thank you, Charlie's. Yeah.